0: Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. Let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for just each and every person that's here tonight. And God, we ask today that you, by your spirit, would teach us, instruct us, that you right now would minister to our hearts in the teaching of your word and that you would also do so in the discussion of your word. And God, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing this week out at the youth camp and um just uh, the reports that we're getting are just that you are doing a great work and we pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit there and we give you our time tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Well, my senior year of high school, I was a teacher's aide for a really cool teacher in our school. In fact, she actually ended up becoming a family friend of our family, and through that, ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, started going to church with us, and just really, really neat to see what God did in her life. But one of the things I thought was really, really cool was as her TA, she allowed me to borrow her... Now, you can remember, this is back in the 80s, the early 80s. So her 1980, really awesome-looking yellow Toyota Celica. And uh, I remember the very first time that she wanted me to go on an errand, and she was going to let me use her car, and she asked me, do you know how to drive a stick shift? And being a big, bad senior varsity baseball player, I said, sure. And thought to myself, it can't be that hard, right? (laughs) I had never driven a stick shift and I ended up stalling her car three times in the busiest intersection in Santa Ana. And it was, I mean, all these cars, I'm like, I'm stuck in the middle of the intersection because I l- went out and I just couldn't get it going. And uh, I learned that day if I was going to enjoy driving that car or any other stick shift for that matter, I was going to have to learn how to shift gears. Well, the same things could be said about the Christian life. If we are going to experience the blessings and the power and the resources that are available to us in Christ, we are going to need to learn how to shift gears. How to shift gears from law to grace. How to shift gears from performance to dependence. And this is why Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's led them to Christ. They're saved, but they're stuck. They've stalled. And the Galatians needed to learn how to shift into the right gear. So let's begin tonight here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of of faith are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many As are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Can I get an amen to that? Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here in our text... Paul is going to give the Galatians this lesson on shifting gears. And this is going to be our outline for tonight. Is Paul, first of all, we see in verse 1, he shakes them up. In verses 2 through 5, he's going to make them think. And then in verses 6 through 9, he's going to take them back to the beginnings of their relationship with God and ask why they assume, why they're thinking that God has somehow changed his tactics. And then in verses 10 through 14, he brings this all together in a conclusion. So he begins by shaking them up. Look at verse 1 again. He says, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified." Paul begins boldly here. You realize that from the outset that Paul's not the kind of guy that is going to mince his words. He begins by saying, Oh foolish Galatians. Now I came across a little article in giving some politically correct ways to say that someone is stupid. Okay? So here, here was a sampling. Here's one. He's a few fries short of a happy meal. You probably used that before, right? Or this one the wheel's spinning, but the hamster's dead. Or this one, the elevator just doesn't go to the top floor. Or this one, if he had another brain, it would be lonely. <laughs> well, obviously, Paul is, has no attempt here. He's not trying at all to be politically correct. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says it straight, oh, foolish Galatians. But I want you to hear how some other Bible translations put this. The New English Bible puts it this way, you stupid Galatians. That's how it puts it, very, very blunt. The Amplified version puts it this way, oh you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. The Amplified always lives up to its uh, name, right? It amplifies it. I especially like this one from the Phillips translation. The chapter begins, you dear idiots. <laughs> but this is kind of the idea. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And the idea of being bewitched here is that they have been seduced by a spell. And I want you to catch this, Okay. You know, he says bewitched. He's not thinking of Samantha in the old TV show, you know, who would twinkle her nose. No, this is, this is much more sinister than this. And, and the idea, the insight by using this term is that this is demonic and sinister aspect to any teaching. Any teaching that seeks to deny the work of Jesus Christ as not being enough or any teaching that simply seeks to add to the work of Christ. It's demonic, it's sinister, and that's definitely what was happening here in Galatia. The believers in Galatia were seduced into thinking that their blessings, listen to this, from God were dependent upon their performance for God. They were thinking their blessings from God we're going to be dependent upon their performance for God. You see, we've talked about this already. The Jewish legalists had come into the churches telling these Gentile believers that in order to be blessed by God, it was great that they believed in Jesus, but they also had to follow the law of God. And in particular, they had to be circumcised. Now, before we're too hard on these guys, we can fall into the same type of trap, can't we? In thinking, if we just do X, Y, and Z, then God sort of owes me, right? If I'm performing in this way and doing these things, then, then God, of course God's gonna bless me. God, God kinda owes me is what we think. I deserve this blessing. Have you ever thought that? And I deserve to be blessed. I'm doing everything right. Have you ever found yourself saying that? And here's what's interesting. When you are, quote unquote, doing everything right and difficulty comes into our lives, we're tempted to think that something is wrong, not with us, but with God. Like God's not being fair and God's not just and what's wrong with him? I'm doing everything right. But that type of thinking actually undermines the work of Jesus that he accomplished on the cross. And this is the point that Paul is making here in verse 1 as he seeks to shake them up. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? The second thing we see is he wants to make them think. In verse 2, when he asks this question, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, this is a very important question to think about. Did you receive the Spirit? In other words, when you were born again, when you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit, That's what he's saying. When you were born again, when you were saved, was it by keeping the law? Or was it by responding in faith to the preaching of the gospel? You see, the Galatians had forgotten what Scripture says about our good works. In Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, it tells us quite graphically. That all of our righteousness before God. I want you to hear this: all of our righteousness before God is like filthy rags. Now, here's what's interesting. And I don't want to gross you out, but this is the, the this is the literal Hebrew that that term "filthy rags" literally means to use menstrual cloths. Okay, kind of gross, right? That, that's the point. It's meant to be gross. It's meant to be that graphic that all of our, our righteousness, all of our good works before God, it's like filthy rags. The Galatians, I'll soften it a little bit, were were taking the mechanic's greasy rags, the janitor's soiled toilet bowl brush, the garbage collector's filthy gloves, and they were trying to swap them for the blessings of the Almighty God. That's what they were trying to do by, by seeking and thinking that they could earn God's blessing and God's favor. Now that would be like somebody walking up to you with a bag of poop, okay? Let's say dog poop. And they're saying, hey, I want to trade you this for your brand new car, you know? And you would be like, you're an idiot. Like, you know, what are you thinking? That's the idea. It's like, that now you get the idea why why Paul is saying, you dear idiots, you know? Because that's the idea of how how just warped their thinking was and thinking that they could do something to earn the blessing of God. Trying to trade our good works, which to God is like filthy rags for his blessings, is a ridiculous idea. Now, Paul asks another question in verse 3. He says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect, that word's complete, in the flesh? You see, the Galatians had got off to a good start. They entered the race by grace, but the Galatians had started in the Spirit, trusting in the work of God, but now they were trying to finish the race in their flesh, in their human effort. Anybody here ever have the battery in your car die? Isn't that drag when that happens? And it gets to the point where it can't be, you know, so you try to jump it, it doesn't jump, so it's just dead. you got to go get a new battery, okay? So this is what this would be like. You go get a new battery, you put it in the car, and rather than going in and then turning the key and firing up the car and letting you know the engine and everything work, you get in the car and then have somebody push you to where you're going to go. Or you put your wife in the front seat and you go, okay, come on, let's go, and you're gonna push and you're looking for hills that you can you know kind of roll down. That's the idea of trying to take what God has done for us and we're gonna try to perfect it in our flesh. We're going to take the work that God has begun in his spirit and we're going to try to perfect it in our flesh. It's like you, rather than than relying on and enjoying the power that is a part that your car battery gives to your car, you're, you're trying to push your car along to where you're going to go. That's what they were doing. Rather than yielding to the dependence and depending upon the spirit of God, they were seeking to do it in their flesh. Now the next thing that Paul wants them to think about is their experience in jesus in verse 4 he says have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain see the message of grace that god's blessing can't be earned that god's grace means undeserved favor that's a message that's offensive to the legalist those who think that they can earn god's favor by their performance they don't like the message of grace It aggravates them, and the believers in that region of Galatia, along with Paul, had suffered at the hands of legalists for the message of grace. And Paul says, hey, was that all in vain? All the suffering, the difficulty that you went through in following Christ, was was that in vain? And now, not only were they persecuted after coming to Christ, but they had also witnessed God working the miraculous among them. And so Paul continues to make them think in verse 5 when he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The miracles that God did among us, did you guys earn those by your works? Or did they come through the grace of God? Was it the gift of God? And that's a great question to ask ourselves. Consider the blessings that you have. Did you do anything to earn them? Let's take, first of all, the blessing of salvation. Did you do anything to earn that? No. Maybe some of you have been blessed by God in that you received a miraculous healing. Did you do anything to earn that or was it simply the gift of God? Gifts that God has given to you. Did you do anything to earn those or was it simply the grace of God being showered upon your life? The answer is those things came to us through the grace of God, when we exercise faith in God to pray and to ask and to respond to the message of the gospel. And in some instances, God's abundant blessing came to us into our life, even when we when we didn't ask. How many of you experienced that before? Like you weren't even praying and God said, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a work and so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer prayer that you're not even you know praying about. Somebody else is praying this for you and I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this. So it's not earned, this is Paul's point, through works, the keeping of the law, but they come by grace through faith. Now, in verses 6-9, Paul's going to take them back now to the beginnings and using Abraham as an illustration when he says this, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So here's what Paul does. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And it simply shows that the righteousness that was accounted to Abraham came to Abraham because Abraham simply believed in God. He believed God. He believed what God said. Now listen, this was long before the law was given and 17 years before Abraham was ever circumcised. So prior, picture this. Prior to all the rules and rituals, God declared that Abraham was right in his sight, that he was righteous, that he was justified before the law, before circumcision. Why? Because Abraham believed in God's promise of salvation. Romans chapter 4, Paul makes this very, very clear using the life of Abraham as an example Where Paul lays out how God made this promise to Abraham. The promise that he would make Abraham, make of him a great nation, was going to come through Abraham. That all the world was going to be blessed through Abraham's seed. God said this to Abraham. And Abraham said, okay, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to trust you. He believed God despite the inherent improbability of this happening. Because most of you know the story. Abraham was really, really old and he didn't have any kids at that point. You see, Abraham cast himself upon the faithfulness of God. Okay, God, you're saying this. I'm going to believe it. And Abraham's faith was reckoned. It was declared, in other words, as being righteous. Abraham was accepted to be righteous by his faith in the promise of God. He didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, there's this, this story there where where God makes this promise to Abraham and Abraham believes it. And, and usually they're going to, you know, have a agreement. They're going to sign like a contract when two parties are doing this. And so what they would do is they would get some animals and they would they would uh, cut them in half and the two parties would meet in the middle of these cut up animals, these carcasses that, that they would then, you know, light on fire. Well, Abraham prepares the, you know, cuts the animals, and he's waiting for God to show up, and God doesn't show up. So Abraham ends up falling asleep, and when he wakes up, all the animals have been toasted because God showed up, and it was God's way of saying, hey, this isn't going to be you do your part, and I do my part. This is going to be a situation where I'm going to do everything, and you're just going to believe You're believing in the work that I am going to do. And so Abraham was justified not because of anything that he had done to earn it or because he was circumcised or because he kept the law. The law wasn't even given yet. It would be 400 years later. Abraham was declared righteous simply because he believed God. Now I want you to catch this. Not in God. He did that. He believed in God. But he was declared righteous because he believed God. He believed in the promise of God, and there's a difference. You know, years ago there was a big movement, and I'm not, nothing wrong with this movement, big movement, promise keepers. How many of you remember promise keepers? Anybody involved in that? And and a lot of it was, you know, based on, hey, we're gonna make this vow and we're gonna keep this vow and we're gonna keep this promise. And and I had a friend that used to, to say, you know, I don't think what God's really looking for us to be these promise keepers. I don't know about you. Most of the promises that I've made to God, I've broken them. How many of you are with me? You know, <laughs> I make a promise to God and I end up not keeping it. But really, God's not looking for us to be promise keepers so much as he's wanting us to be promise believers. We're believing in a God who keeps his promises to us. Abraham believed God's word and it was accounted to him as being righteous. And there God was establishing, listen, a pattern that this is what a right relationship with God is based upon. God does it and I receive it. God says it and I believe it. Notice verse 7. Therefore, know that only those, so no exceptions here, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing, in other words, seeing in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Gospel means good news. So the good news was preached to Abraham beforehand, saying in you all the nations shall be blessed. So here's what Paul's saying. When God promised to make Abraham a great nation, that through his seed all the nations would be blessed, that the fulfillment of that promise would be in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jew from the seed of Abraham, and it's through Abraham seed through Jesus that salvation came into the world and the nation not just yes there is the nation of Israel that comes from Abraham and that is a great nation but an even greater nation is the people of faith it's the church it's the body of Christ through the ages That have come to faith and salvation the same way that Abraham did by simply believing. That Jew and Gentile alike could come into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So Paul puts it this way in verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Here's what Paul's wanting us to understand. That the most important link to Abraham is not the link of genetics. But it's the link of faith it's not the link of works it's the link of faith and this would have been shocking to those who were the opponents of Paul because they deeply believed that they had a right standing with God because of their connection to Abraham because they were his descendants in fact at that time some Jewish rabbis actually taught that Abraham stood at the gates of hell to make sure that none of his descendants accidentally slipped in John the Baptist dealt with this same thinking when he said in Matthew chapter three, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God has ra- is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. And Paul is not knocking down their blind, or Paul is knocking down, excuse me, their blind reliance on genetic relation to Abraham because he's saying our connection to Abraham is a connection of faith. Abraham believed and we believed. We believe in the promise of God that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that's how you and I are declared righteous. Abraham is the father of everyone who believes and through faith we are accounted as righteous as well as we simply exercise faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now Paul brings this all to a head in verses 10 through 14 and we'll wrap this up. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not, now catch this, continue in all things. Everybody say all things. things. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Listen, the law was not a spiritual buffet where you could kind of pick and choose. Like, okay, I like this one. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. But this covet thing, you know, I don't know about that one. You know, No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a spiritual smorgasbord that you could pick and choose. To live by the law, you had to keep the whole enchilada. You had to follow all of them. Think of it this way. You could spend a whole year being a perfect driver. You'd never go over the speed limit. You never run a red light. You never change lanes without not using your blinker. You stop at every single stop sign. You are just the perfect driver. How many of you are like that? You know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, one day, after a whole year, you make accidentally one of those California stops. Do they call them Wisconsin stops in Wisconsin? Do they? I don't know. And there's a police officer sitting right there. the lights go on. He doesn't care that you say to him, I, I've, I've had a perfect driving record all year long. You're getting a ticket. I've had that happen. I made the big mistake of saying, come on, what's the deal? Are you trying to fulfill your quota? Um, <laughs> yeah, that didn't go over well. I was 18, all right? I was foolish. <laughs> I was an idiot. Oh, foolish idiot. You know. um, (laughs) But you're going to get a ticket. And that's the point. When it comes to the law, you got to keep the whole thing. This is his point. Anyone who tries to live according to the law as the basis of their right standing with God must keep all of the law all of the time. And the problem is none of us can do that. So because of that, we're cursed. We're doomed. Verse 11 makes this clear. That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident that the just shall live by faith. That's the whole point of Abraham. Those who are justified in the eyes of God are justified by faith. But those who try to live by the law, well, they have to keep all of the law. And if they can't keep all of the law, then they're cursed. But here's the good news as we land the plane. Verse 13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, A cross. That's what they thought. Anybody who was crucified was cursed of God. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here's what Paul's saying. Through the work of, through through Jesus' work on the cross in becoming a curse for us and taking our sin upon himself, all of the nations of the world have been blessed so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and his work and not their work is declared righteous in the eyes of God. We're declared righteous on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So because of that, it's realizing that I'm blessed in Jesus. That everything that I have flows from my relationship with Jesus. I'm blessed and I believe that and I walk in that and I rest in that. So listen, I'm not trying to earn God's favor. I have it. I'm in Christ. But I'm responding to being in his favor. And so because of that, I want to worship because God is so good. I want to serve because I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to be a part of his kingdom because my God is so awesome and he's been so gracious to me. I want to show grace to others because God has been so gracious to me. I'm not doing that to say, look God, look how nice I'm being to this jerk. No, I'm saying, man, Lord, thanks, thank you for the work you're doing in my heart that's helping me be nice to this jerk. Okay? <laughs> It's responding to the work that Christ has done in us. And therefore, I will seek to walk with God, not to be blessed, but because I know I am blessed. Because the just, and I'm going to put the emphasis here, the just shall live. We live by faith in the finished work of Christ and in the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the work is done. We thank you, Lord, that we are declared righteous in your eyes by simply believing, putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we... Now break up into groups and and discuss this wonderful blessing of our salvation. God, I pray that you would bless um, these conversations. And we give you the rest of this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.